Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacker Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Threepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void where prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. Co-host, semi-co-host, on and off co-host, the Topanga and Corey Matthews kind of co-host relationship here with uh, Max Reaper, our editor-in-chief, Max. Hey, Sean. Uh, it's, I think it's more of a rivalry tonight because oh. we do know KU yeah. and MU renew the rivalry today, yep. and you are you have Missouri affiliations and I have KU affiliations. And Missouri so. won, in case anybody's ever listening to this. I think that's fake news, actually. Uh, yeah, KU did win, although it, it was all about charity. Thankfully, they raised. Yeah. I think they raised six hundred something thousand dollars. I thought I saw. I think I saw it was over a million. Oh, so. okay. Yeah, I, I do know that not only did KU win by the score, but they had like some text line thing where it was like donate for text and like KU fans or you know whatever the name they put the donations under KU and that one like by several several times over. Like MU fans are just. But, you know, most of you fans are kind of hillbilly guys anyways. Um, <laughs> well, yeah. They're uh, generous as well, so that's not surprising. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm, te- I'm teasing. No, KU fans have, they got Leewood. There's no Leewood version in Missouri. Leewood is, you know. <laughs> Brookside. Yeah, you got Brookside. You I got, live in Brookside. It's not, posh, not Leewood. Posh, area, posh areas of St. Louis. Yeah, uh, I guess that's the true. Oze. Oh, yeah. I've been down the Ozark. Just some big boats down the Yeah, Ozark. that's true. Oh, but there's money. There's money there somewhere. Yeah, and like Branson. and Okay, all right, yeah. maybe. Um, but yeah, definitely St. Louis, I guess. Okay, cool. So we are back. Long time uh, since we've had an episode, but here we are. And definitely with the winter coming around, I imagine we'll do more. Um, oh, boy. So season is over, Max. Another another one come and gone. This is like your like thirtieth uh, season, right? That you've been following the Royals, really. I mean, <laughs> even as a fandom, you know. Yeah, and it, and it feels like you know we had a lot of ups and downs and kind of surprising twists and turns. But at the end of the day, like eighty and eighty two is probably the least surprising. Uh, yeah. Result, don't you think? I mean, what did you yeah. have? Uh, we both had the same thing. Seventy-eight and eighty-four, I think. Seventy-eight, yeah. So that's pretty close to yeah. what they end up finishing. So, I, you know, I, that's not. It's, it was, you know, a lot of surprises along the way, but yeah. ultimately, probably the least surprising yeah. outcome. They took a different path to get there than I thought they would, particularly yeah. since like Hosmer was, you know, had a four-win season. Ustakas broke through. I figured, okay, if they're going to be eighty and eighty-two, Hosmer's going to have a ninety WRC plus. You know, the, the home run record isn't going to be set. You know, the franchise home run record. 
but they took a very different way there. And uh, yeah, I mean, they kind of were who we thought they were, but they were a little different than I guess we thought they'd be, right? Yeah, I think if you told me that, you know, Hosmer and Mustakas and Kane and Whit Merrifield yeah. Oh, yeah. would have the season they had, yeah. I, would, I would be like, okay, well, I can see them winning like 86, 87 yeah. games. But just like the bottom fell out, like we were like the Tigers of the last couple of years where we had like four pretty good hitters and then yeah. just no nothing after that and just and a kind of a garbage bullpen. Uh, probably it's overstating. I mean, they're they, but they certainly weren't the bullpen yeah. we've had in the past. And yeah, and that really doomed them. And it was just kind of uh, kind of a blah way to end this this era, which I guess, you know, really no era. Very few, very, very rarely does an era of, of like of baseball kind of end on a really high note. I mean, yeah. usually. Yeah. Things kind of end on a whimper, but uh, you know, it, it, it was a it was a fun ride while we had it. And, and, and thinking uh, of the thinking of the bullpen, I mean, imagine a bullpen. Imagine the same bullpen, but Scott Alexander doesn't appear. You know, he's whatever. He, I mean, he's twenty eight. He let's say he just never gets called up for whatever reason. And then Mike Miner is as bad as he was last year in the minors. That bullpen could have been even worse than it was. So thank God. They had like an emergence of Scott Alexander, and then Joaquin Soria being better, and you know Mike Miner. I mean, if everything stayed the same as it was last year, and then you just have like Herrera as bad as he was, and you know no more Davis, like they they kind of avoid a nice uh, potential landslide. But you know, yeah, it was. If you if and if you had to like look back on the season and kind of like address and say this is, I think there are a lot of culprits for this year. But if you kind of had to say this. You know, this is the the main culprit, or that has, uh, you know, is more culpable than the others. What what would you kind of put your finger on? Uh, two things, I guess. One might be a cop out, but the first one is the offense. Um, the I mean, the offense was extremely bad. I know that there were some guys who had high points. I mean, the thing is, Mustakis's line is a little bit jaded because he hit thirty six, thirty. Did he hit thirty seven? Thirty seven? Thirty thirty eight. Oh, he got thirty eight. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he. You know, it's a little jaded by that when you think, oh, how can a guy be 105 WRC plus or whatever he had when he has 37 home runs? Well, when you don't walk, that's also going to do it. Uh, so I think the offense, and then because you had Gordon and you had Moss and you had Escobar who were just automatic outs, and then on those, when they weren't playing, you had Solaire, and then you had, um, who am I missing, Cuthbert, and then you had Bonifacio who kind of started falling off a lot at the end. So it's just the offense is the number one issue. Um, and then the other one, which the cop-out answer is, is just team depth. I mean, when someone got injured, I mean, when one starter went down, when Duffy went down, it was it was a scramble to find a fifth starter. You know, they they tried out Onelki Garcia, uh, Scoglin. You know, Junis actually ended up sticking. Um, I think he got demoted, though, if I recall that right. A couple uh, times. Yeah. So I don't know. They, they just... When someone went down, it was like, oh, my God, who can we play now? Because it, they, a lot of the the power was resting on just a couple different names. You know, like when Perez got hurt, well, Butera is obviously not a good enough backup. Uh, you know, um, and then when Sorlaire wasn't good enough, then they called up Bonifacio, who, again, was good, but then he kind of dropped off. And then they got Cabrera, but Cabrera ended up stinking. And then, then they had to call up Orlando. And yeah, it's just it, it, there just was no depth anywhere around. Yeah, I, I remember like in 2013, 2014, the A's kind of made a big deal about having like two major leaguers at every position, like guys who could play multiple positions. I think sure. Jed Lowry was yeah. like the big you know, uh, prototype where he could play all over the infield and be a solid major leaguer. And I think Tampa Bay kind of adopted that model. I think you've seen Houston 
really and Cleveland maybe also as well take off of that model. And I, I feel like that's gotten less attention now, but certainly the Royals, I think, never really – maybe they tried to, you know, with a guy like Whit Merrifield. Maybe they, they saw him as being a utility infielder. But, yeah, I agree. It's just like it was very evident that, like, when someone went down, yeah, uh, they just didn't have anyone in Omaha to, to fill that spot. And, like, the pitching staff just seemed like it was on fumes. Yeah. Like, you know, just Onelki Garcia. I mean, I, I look, I know people – rail the Royals for having starting Garcia that day when we all knew how it was going to turn out. <laughs> they really had no other options at, at that yeah. point. And they were just scraping the bottom of the barrel looking for someone that can make a start. And, and you know, if you're going to blame them, it's for being in that situation in the first place. And, yeah, I know they tried to make a trade midseason to, to add some pitching depth that just blew up in their face in a way that I'm not sure any of us really anticipated. Yeah. But, um, you know, it's it's kind of a – and I know you've been railing on this and others, and, and rightfully so for, for a while, is that this organization has just been been quite negligent at developing pitching uh, in this organization. And there's just not enough homegrown arms to step up and, and take over when someone goes down like that. So, yeah, I think that got exposed in a major way this year. I do have to say, and I know it's weird to say, but that game, that's one of – it wasn't enjoyable – but it's one of the games that I could watch over and over again just because of how miserable <laughs> You're a sadist. Bad, how bad Garcia was and then um what's his name? That uh not Camacho. Um that Oh really, uh Machado. Andres yeah, Machado. Machado. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh it just oh my god. I unbelievable how bad that game was. Um and they just didn't stop. And the kind of thing that that was the twins. It was against the twins, right? Yeah, it was the twins. Right, right. Because then they went and beat up on someone where they hit a home run in the first every inning they had a home run for the first seven innings i think it was the padres um but still that i think that the twins clearly were underrated this year so i don't know that's just a tangent thought but uh yeah and then so i'm looking at team depth on fan graphs every march jeff sullivan does like a look at team depth and going into it uh where was it i guess they called it Top, I don't know. Uh, never mind. They used to have a little thing called depth where he looked at players who were projected to win two or more games, how many people they had for that. Uh, but now there's some newer one. Uh, if we just look at the top five players, and the Royals are in the very well, – um, never mind. I thought – ignore – there they are. They are in the bottom six. So team depth was an issue coming into it, it looks like. Everybody kind of felt that the team was – a little top-heavy, if that makes sense. And I kind of feel like they take the lessons of like a guy like Whit Merrifield wrong. Like, yeah. you know, oh, well, there's probably a couple more Whit Merrifields in yeah. our system. It's like that's more of the exception yeah, rather than definitely. the rule. Like he's a very uh, rare instance. And, uh, yeah, I, you know, maybe, you know, maybe the Nicky Lopez ends up being a really nice major leaguer. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that, but you can't really rely on that. No. I mean, just not – that many guys out there that's going to have that kind of career path. And, unless you're, and, unless they play for the Cardinals. I don't yeah, know how, and then they have them coming out the wazoo. How they could get yeah, Paul DeYoung just, oh, oh, look at this old 28-year-old guy who was a five-win player. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's something. That's crazy. Yeah, I don't yeah. know how they do it. So something, something about development, I'm sure. Yeah. All right. Well, um, we I think everybody's familiar with how the season went, uh, understandably. Uh, but... Uh, one interesting thing that came out not too long ago, uh, Dayton Moore might be a Brave, might go back to his home roots. What's your kind of take on that there, Max? So I am pretty positive he's not going to leave. Okay. I think there are a lot of reasons why 
I think objectively more people would say the Atlanta job is better, but uh-huh. in his in his personal situation, I think he would probably prefer to stay in Kansas City. I, I mean, I, yeah. number one, just inertia. Like you prefer your current status quo unless there there's a reason, unless you're uncomfortable. And I don't see any reason for him to think that he's uncomfortable in Kansas City. Other than the fact his team kind of stinks now. Yeah. Uh, he's got job think, security completely. He's I got mean, great jobs. I mean, he's not going to get fired here at least for the next decade, don't you think? I mean, he's not. Sure. Unless yeah. he's, the only way he leaves is on his own accord. Whereas in Atlanta, you know, if he has three or four bad years, he's going to be on the hot seat. They, yeah. you know, they don't care that he won a World Series in Kansas City. Um, so, and then, this, you know, he's, he's surrounded himself with people he likes and knows and knows he can work with in, in Kansas City. Where he goes to Atlanta, you know, he was there before, but that was 10 years ago. I'm yeah. no, probably not a ton of people there from before, and he's not going to be able to bring over everyone from Kansas City. No. So you know, that's new people he's going to have to work with, and that's always a difficult situation. And uh, so, you know, and he's got, a, you know, family considerations. I think he's got a kid in high school here. So, you know, he was reluctant to, to, to take the Kansas City job before because he didn't want to uproot his family, and he felt loyalty to the organization. He knows he can work with the Glass family, whereas – Atlanta may have more resources, but it's a corporation that owns that team. They've pulled back resources before. They're, they run it more like a business than like a, a family, which I think is how Dayton Moore kind of sees a baseball organization. So I don't think it's, you know, it's 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 on paper Atlanta is the better job, I think, just because they're a team on the, on the rise. They've got a new stadium. Uh, they've got they're in a bigger market, more resources. But I think for Dayton Moore personally, um, you know, and he's built something here in Kansas City. If he goes to Atlanta – and they were successful next year. People will say, you know, Coppola, John Coppola, the former general manager, he did it, and yeah. Dayton Moore's just taking credit. Yeah. Whereas yeah. if he does anything in Kansas City the next couple of years, it's it's all him. You know, he owns it. So there's there's probably some some of that involved too. So I I think there's a ninety percent chance he stays. That being said, it's a little curious he hasn't just shut the door and said, yeah. you know what, I'm here to stay. Don't worry about me leaving, guys. I've built this in Kansas City. I you know I have an obligation to the Glass family. I made a commitment to this organization. I'm not. I'm. And he said, he kind of said everything up to that line, but it's just interesting. He won't. Yeah. Just say outright. Ease everyone's mind and put all these stories to rest. So I don't know what's your what's your, what's your take on? Yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, I'm just looking at Braves front office staff, uh, and like the I don't know any of these guys, but the president of development, Mike Plant, he's been there since '03. Derek Schiller's been there since 03. Hank Aaron's obviously been there for, you know, ever. Um, yeah. So, yeah. So there's some, some carryover, yeah. Yeah, so I imagine a lot of these guys might have might have been around. Um, but... the, the other thing is, though, like, you know, and I know you've read up on these stories. John Hart is yeah. the president, club president in Atlanta, and presumably he's staying, uh, you know, oh. unless they fire him. I don't know. Have you heard differently? Well, so Keith Law is one of the most kind of tied in guys, tied into, like, front offices, having worked for – a couple front offices. Um, he is thinking. So I, I, I don't think he undersold it, but I, I think that he was saying that uh, it looks like the repercussions for Atlanta. It looks like they did maybe more than just a little bit. Like it looks like mm-hmm. it's like, wow, you guys really did this, huh? Right. Um, and so he's expecting perhaps that um, Hart might actually be gone. And I think Hart only has another year left on his contract. I think, anyways. Yeah. Um, so I, I, it sounds like just from some things I've read is that, yeah, Hart, if, if Hart goes, Moore will take over because, you know, obviously Moore wants to be the number one in charge, short of being, right. you know, Terry McGurk, who's the, like, owns the Braves, effectively. Um, but it seems like Hart 
there's no way that Hart could have not known what Copy was doing and Copy and others were doing. And so if, you know, punishment gets handed down, Hart probably is going to be part of that group that obviously they can't, you know, MLB can't fire him, uh, but they could they could say, hey, John Hart knew about this, and then Hart, you know, would likely resign. So it all depends on that, but I, I think that the punishment is going to be not drastic, but I definitely think it's going to be harder than what we think of, it, more than just a slap on the wrist. And that's just from what I've read. I mean, it should be some pretty major penalties. From and, that, and that's that's another reason why Dayton Moore may not yeah. want to take that job is because yeah. there, there could be some, you know, you could have one arm behind your back yeah. as far as a draft or international signings in the next couple of years. And you're also having to clean up, clean up what sounds like was a pretty toxic yeah, front yeah. office you know, environment. Like it's a lot of people – it's not just a copy was doing these things. It's that people really – I mean it got out because people didn't like him and it, they leaked it because you know, there's so much infighting in that front office. That's, yeah. that's a real – that's an – that's a you – know, people say, well, he's going to want to leave Kansas City because he's got to clean up this team. Well, he's got to clean up an entire Ooh. organization in Atlanta or you know, this, this front office just wasn't getting along. So yeah. – there's that. There's a, the other interesting wrinkle I was reading is that um, I guess there was some talk that they, they want Dayton Moore really to just kind of keep the seat warm for John Schultz as kid oh. to become general manager someday, huh. which Dayton Moore is not particularly old. Like he could yeah. do this job for another you know twenty years probably presumably. I don't know if he wants to really babysit and kind of train John Schultz's kid who. From the Braves SB Nation side, it's, it's not a very popular guy. No. It sounds like it sounds like they feel like that was a very big nepotism hire, yeah, yeah, place, which it probably was. So, um, so yeah, I don't know. Like, there's there's some wrinkles in there that make it seem like he wouldn't take that job. But like I said, I don't know why. It's I don't even know why it's a story at this point. Like, yeah. why is he not, you know, said anything about? Yeah, here's, not going. here's what Keith Moore said on October fifth. Um, someone asked him, "What's your feelings on Dayton Moore to Atlanta?" And he said, uh, I, as in Keith, I understand that the job will be his if he wants it. He'd fit their system, and he's worked there before, which all work in his favor. He's highly regarded as a person within the industry. And if you just forced out your GM over ethical violations, you want your next hire to be squeaky clean. And, you know, getting more, of course, would be a squeaky clean kind of hire. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think if Hart goes, that's probably where more steps in. And I guess it's not inconceivable that, because Card only has one year left on his deal, I think that's accurate. Um, mm. You know, if he leaves the organization, I mean, Moore could step out next year for it. So, it, yeah, it, you know, assuming that they don't hire a guy and you know make it long term. But uh, from what I think Ken Rosenthal was saying was that it was just like right now the assistant GM and someone else they're they're like holding it up like with with duct tape right now because they because uh. they just got hired themselves. Uh, so they're trying to figure everything out. So it's kind of a weird situation over there. So, yeah, as kind of nice of a job as it might be kind of overall, um, new ballpark, good farm system, you know, decent amount of money to spend. Uh, yeah, I mean, it'd be stepping into just a, a really weird and um, hard to put together kind of thing. So it's it's a nice job on the surface, but deep down, yeah, there's some toxicity in there. Yeah, and, and for what it's worth, like the local media here, like Jeffrey Flanagan is like adamant. Yeah. That- Dayton Moore's not going anywhere, yeah, so little, maybe not weird, but it, he definitely knows Dayton Moore. You know, I think he's yeah. definitely on the the emotional side a little bit more than like oh the practical side, maybe. Right, right. But, so, yeah, we'll see. Uh, I mean, I would imagine. Well, so the GM meetings are coming up soon. I mean, I'm not sure if they would want to have an answer by the GM meetings or if they would want to wait. You know, 
I don't think they'd rush. They, uh, they wouldn't rush the decision, but I mean, with the GM meetings only like a month-ish away, you know, you'd think that they would either want to get someone in now, or I don't know, or would they wait? I think. Well, some, sometimes they actually have these deals in place, and then they, they're not really. They don't want to say anything till after the World Series. Like the oh, yeah, commissioner's yeah. office, like, is really frowns upon. Yeah. Announcing hires until after the World Series is—I don't know—I don't know why they're weird. Everyone knows the Red Sox are going to hire Alex Cora, but yeah. they can't really officially say anything until World Series is over. That's kind of yeah. dumb, but whatever. So it could there could be a deal in place. Who knows? And they announce it the day after the World Series, but we'll see. Yeah, I would expect—I would expect they want to get someone in there pretty quickly. But I mean, they may—I mean, the, the investigation may—you yeah. know—some people may not want to take the job. Yeah, they yeah. Know exactly. exactly what the penalties are going to be. So yeah, okay. Um, so kind of speaking of more in a way, uh, the direction of the team is something that's kind of confused and more – I know we, – we all know that he's never been a dude that would admit to a full rebuild. He would never be like, yeah, let's tear this bad boy down because even like when he took over, he's, you know, he obviously still kind of tried uh, to feel the comp- – not even feel the competitive team. Well, he, he wasn't like, yeah, let's tear it down. He was like, oh, let's see if we can win the next few years. By signing free agents, and mm-hmm. you know, he signed he signed Gilmesh. It wasn't Baird, right? I got the timeline right. No, so he signed Gil. He yeah. said he told he told Gilmesh, "You will be you will be my starter in the World Series." Okay, that's right. So yeah, I don't, yeah. like this whole narrative that like, oh, he knew it was going to take ten years. No, no, yeah, yeah. he thought they were going to by the end of the by the end of the Gilmesh contract. He thought they would be, <laughs> and Which, they were they were definitely not. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, he's definitely even when it was like obviously this team sucks. Uh, he wouldn't commit to like a full teardown rebuild, um, which so it doesn't seem like that's going to happen now. But I, I feel like nine out of ten Royals fans, if you pulled them, they they would probably be like, yeah, let's. Uh, they probably wouldn't be optimistic about the 2018 team, right? I, I feel like even the mainstream, like okay, so obviously like our side, I think it's it's heavily in favor of tear the you know yeah. tear the whole thing down. Let's do it, start over again. I think even the mainstream fans like are pretty much on board. Yeah. I mean, they, I think they've seen the Cubs and the Astros do it. And look, guess they, you know the Cubs won the World Series. The Astros are in the World Series this year. It seems like kind of the smart play. Yeah. And I think fans are pretty savvy that they understand. Look, we know we're going to be bad in the next couple of years, no matter what. Let's just tear the whole thing down. Now that may change once they actually see that in process. And you know, does that mean trading away favorites like Danny Duffy and Whit Merrifield? Then they may balk at that, but. I think everyone anticipates kind of a long season or two, yeah, or three. And if you're going to do that, you might as well do it right. And I, you know, I, even I kind of balked at a full rebuild, but at this point, I think it. it I mean, why not? I, there's no, you know, I don't think Danny Duffy's really going to be on the next good Royals team. No. I think it's probably going to take a while. So yeah, I wouldn't think so either. Uh, and I'm yeah, I don't, I'm not saying trade the guy like tomorrow, but like in the next year, you should probably explore some tra- some trades for him. Yeah, and guys like Merrifield. I mean. Could you ask? I mean, that seems like a slam dunk trade—a 28-year-old breakout. You know, I, I I hesitate to call him a breakout, but a 28-year-old guy who put up probably the best season he will ever have, um, mm. and he can play a couple different positions. He's well liked. He's a good base runner. I mean, there are things that I think you could sell on with Merrifield that you know he's a nice piece for a rebuilding team to have. So they definitely have assets to trade. I was looking at the Astros. First off. And I'm just looking at like a path to rebuild. First off, the 2013 Astros payroll was $14 million. I totally forgot it was $14 million, <laughs> which is just absurd. Um, but anyways, but I mean, they didn't take too bad of it. That's what I was looking for. The attendance hit. I mean, they definitely dropped off. Like 2011, they averaged two or they had two million attendance, and they had 
1.6 million, 1.6, 1.7. So, I mean, there was an impact with fans for sure. But, of course, fans still kind of showed up. I mean, they didn't they didn't change that much. I mean, in 2011, they were 13th in attendance. And then in 2013, a team that went 51 and 111, they were 13th again in attendance. Uh, so it's not like fans still didn't show up. I mean, they were understanding, hey, you know, this team's going to suck. But in three years from now, they're going to be good. So, I well, I will say this though: in 2014, and this happened more than on one occasion, they drew a 0.0. 0 in yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, like, there were reruns of the Cosby Show that were like <laughs> getting more viewers than the Houston Astros baseball games. Yeah. That was just three years ago, too. So, there, the Royals do have a TV deal that's expiring at the end of 2019. That may weigh, and you know, I don't think the TV contract. Matter. I don't think it relies on ratings that much, to be honest. People make a big deal about that. I think it matters more in market size and and what you know what the overall market looks like right now. Yeah. But that may weigh a little bit on their feelings. Like, hey, if we just suck out loud and get you know nobody watching us, that that that'll affect our deal. That may that yeah. may be a factor. But I don't know. I don't know. If it'd be no. Big and, and I'm sure people. And I mean, the people at Fox, they understand that they're not. Yeah. Uh, they're not going to be this able. Long term. Yeah, and they're not going to get the numbers. I mean. They're not. They know that more people a ten share in Kansas City isn't worth a three share in L.A. Like right. they know that the KC market is small to begin with, so they're not going to shell out a billion dollar deal or two billion dollar deal. You know, I mean, they even if Kansas, even if the Royals were as good as they were, like going into their um, contract year for the for the television, I think they still would be like, okay, let's we're still not going to give them the boatload. You know. Yeah, and then the Royals drew well, I think, on TV, even when they were a pretty bad team. So it's people – look, it's summer in Kansas City. We don't have the beach. We don't have the mountains. What are you going to do? You're going to stay on and watch Royals games. You know, yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. the thing to do. So, Yeah, the highest paid player on that 13 Astros team was Bud Norris making $3 million, just so you know. Oof. And Carlos Pena was the second highest. Good Lord. That team was just insane. <laughs> that is a rebuild. Yeah, Burning it to the ground. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, well – so I think everybody, at least on the site, yeah, I think we're definitely all in direction of, you know, let's just tear it down and get over it. Maybe because we're you, maybe because a lot of us are like, our natural state as Royals fans is a crappy team, just kind of overall. Yeah. So I think we're we're willing to live with it again. I mean, nobody wants to, but we understand. And, you know, and when winning World Series, I think buys you a little more. Yeah. Uh, you know, I. Goodwill, I guess, you yeah. know, and maybe they don't want to fritter that away, but I think that buys you some time. It's like, okay, we won a World Series, and, you know, before that, the team was terrible, so, you know, I kind of know what I'm doing. I've done this once before. Yeah. Uh, just trust trust the process, yeah. and we'll and, get there again, and yeah. I think a lot of fans probably will. Yeah, and I didn't follow the team in the 90s. I mean, I was, like, 10 years old, or no, younger than that in the 90s, um, but the worst thing is the team, the 500 500- team the or the under 500 team that tries to go for it every single year mm. and they clearly don't have the talent but they try to supplement it with Gilmesh or um like god there's somebody i can't think who did they sign in the 90s they signed a pitcher in the 90s i think oh, oh, oh in the 90s yeah the 90s were, were just kind of emblematic of that because they were a clearly a 90 lost team on paper like they just did the, the system had stopped producing talent for the most part yeah but they kept bringing in veterans like Jeff King and Jay Bell and Chili Davis and Dean Palmer. It's like those guys are not going to, you know, move the needle very much. Yeah. Especially when what you need is pitching, and they couldn't they couldn't afford to get pitchers. 
so yeah, it was it was, it was pretty frustrating because like they wouldn't commit to a full rebuild. We never got a, a first round pick or a high round pick in those days, and when we did, we kind of blew it. So yeah, it was kind of a perpetual uh, uh, ninety loss team because they couldn't can, couldn't get out of that rut. And yeah, that's yeah. I think that's the danger is you want it, you don't. Uh, there used to be a kind of a, a mock statement and uh, mock saying among Pirates fans that they every year was a, a drive for seventy five <laughs> drive for seventy five wins, yeah. and that's kind of the rut they were they were stuck in the same rut we were, and eventually you know both teams kind of broke out of it. But um, yeah, that's definitely not where you want to be. You want either want to be rebuilding, I think, or you want to be contending, and I, I think you don't want to be caught in, in no man's land. I could have sworn that like the, there was a team. I thought they signed a pitcher for a, kind of a big, like a bigger deal, and he was either really bad or everybody was wondering, well, maybe not. Jay Bell was making five million in '97. I don't know. Okay, I'll see if I can figure it out. But I thought I remember them signing. Well, there's a there was Boddicker, but that was in the early '90s when they still had Mr. Kaufman. Yeah, financing and, things, and he was good for a year, but then kind of fell off the cliff. Maybe that's why I'm big enough. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Huh. But they were spending like crazy back then because they wanted to get Mr. Kaufman one more championship yeah. and. Uh, it didn't really work out <laughs> very well. Max, the '99 Royals. What player had the highest WAR on the '99 Royals? By baseball uh, reference, Carlos Beltran. Yes, rookie. No, the- no, he was third. I'm sorry, very close. Third. '99 Royals. Uh, Apier. Uh, he. Last, I think that was his last year there. So uh, it was Johnny Damon at 5.4. Oh, uh, Johnny Damon. And yep. it's funny that it goes one through three is Damon, Die, Beltran. Traded, oh, wow. traded, traded, and got yeah. nothing in return for all of them. Anyways, basically. <laughs> so, oh, well, yeah. that's emblematic of those, just the portraits of the Allard Baird era and, yeah. and everything. Hmm. Okay. All right. Um, so we, I guess well, just before yeah. we move on, like, uh, I mean, what do you think this – what do you think they do in the, in the offseason? I mean, it sounds like you don't think they're going to commit to a full rebuild, no. so – and oh. They don't have, they, but on the other hand, they don't have like the. I don't unless they drastically raise payroll. No, I don't think they have the money to go out and they can. Now Matthew Lamar had that really good article that said, you know, they can sign a couple of guys if they backload the deals and their long term yeah. deals. So there is some flexibility. I think they'd have to trade like maybe a Soria. Yeah, but I don't know. Do you see them going down that route? Or Sam Mellinger suggested they would sign cheap free agents and try yeah. to contend. They'll but, sign uh, Adam Lind for. Three million. They'll go sign. I don't know. I'm just looking at the third base. Uh, uh, Darwin Barney or Cliff. I don't. Yeah. I mean, they'll find someone eat simple and pay him two, three million, and then try and feel. I mean, that's that's my. They're they're certainly not going to trade away Merrifield and Perez and Duffy and Alexander and the guys who probably should be traded away. You know, they'll tender Herrera. They'll wait. Well, maybe not waste, but you know, they'll spend seven and a half million or whatever Herrera was projected to get in arbitration on him. And I mean, they definitely will try to push again in 2018. Um, will it work? Well, probably not, without knowing what the moves are. But yeah, no, I, I can't see. I can't see them doing anything other than what uh, Moore did in 2008, 2009, 2010 of just trying to supplement. Um, you know the current roster with with other guys. Hopefully, he tries to do the lightning strikes and tries to get another kind of um, uh, Kendry Morales or Mike Miner or something like that. Um, but I don't know. Uh, that's what I think he'll go with. He'll try to get some guys that you know he could probably strike again with in the best bet. But what do you think? Well, I thought I thought he in his any of their press conference he kind of opened the door to a rebuild because he said something like you know. 
well, you know, we want to contend or whatever. We want to always want to win. Yeah. But he says, I'm like, uh, you know, if we have to refocus our efforts and look more long term, then that's what we'll do. And so I kind of like maybe think, well, I, you know, he's at least thinking about it. He's at least considering it. And maybe it comes down to, you know, I know he still has to talk with the Glass family, or at least he hasn't really committed to, you know, whether or not what payroll is going to look like. Um, and I know, you know, if they talk, begin talks with Eric Hosmer and the market's a lot lower than they expected, which I don't I don't see how that's going to start out. You know, yeah. that's not going to be the case initially, at least. Um, you know, but maybe the market comes down to them, you know, like it kind of came down to them for Alex Gordon. Uh, then maybe they try to re-sign him. I, you know, I could see that, but I, you know, I think he let, you know, if, if they don't get Hosmer, then they're, you know, yeah, then they're kind of stuck. They don't have a, an in-house replacement ready. I don't, I don't yeah. think Ryan Orton is, is quite ready. And, uh, yeah, I can see them signing a stopgap and, and, and kind of doing a one year. Let's see what we have. Let's let these bad contracts go off the books. Um, and then if the right deal comes around, maybe they do start moving some guys like, Duffy and, and I don't know about Sal. Yeah, I can't. Uh, I can't see them trading him, but uh, yeah, yeah. But Duffy and Witt could could find themselves on the trading block if if the right trade is out there. Yeah. The, you know, the big the interesting about this is like timing is going to be a big factor because you know you trade you got to trade Danny Duffy at the right time when his value is the highest. It's hard to tell yeah. when that is because you know he's coming off a season where uh, you know it was a good season, uh, but he got hurt a couple yeah. times. He's got off season shoulder surgery. Is a shoulder oh, elbow. He cleaned out some yeah some his elbow. Um, so yeah. you know he's never made thirty starts in here. So maybe you want to do you want to gamble and and see if he makes thirty starts this year and it's a solid and really solidifies himself as a number one or at least number two type starter in the league or do you fear that he's going to get hurt? You know, Whit Merrifield this is a career year, but there's definitely teams out there I'm sure that think it's a fluke. And so do you yeah. gamble? And, you know, do you trade him now and try to you know think this is the, as good as it'll ever get for him? Or do you wait and say he won't replicate this year, but if he's at least a very solid second baseman next year, that I think that may actually increase his value, even if he regresses a little bit, just because he's not. It shows he's not fluky. So, you know, there's and then you know then who you also have to wait for the right time. When do teams need a second baseman or need a pitcher? You know, pitchers generally always you know needed, but yeah. you know, is it going to be July? Is it July the right time? When you find a contender that's going to overpay, or is it going to be next December, or is it this December? So it's you got to really play that, you know. There's so many times that I've read in Royals history where it's like they had this offer on the table and they decided to pass on it. Yeah. And then that that that, then that trade evaporated. That proposal's gone, and later down the line they couldn't really make the same trade. Like Wade Davis, I think it's it, it's you know we get a lot we give a lot of grief for Dayton Moore for that trade, and rightfully so. But it's like it, it's hard to find when was the right time to trade and sell. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. And one of the so maybe not the biggest fear, but a the I don't know how to say it. They sign Hosmer, and they only sign Hosmer, and then you know they find some little tiny guy, you know, other small pieces around him, and then they go, oh, okay, we made an effort, we signed Hosmer, we're ready to go. You know, it's like no, 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 no. Hosmer doesn't make this team a playoff contending team just with him right. alone. You know, Hosmer and others is is just another kind of stars and scrubs. It's the Orioles. Well, the Orioles have a little better guys, but it, it, it's like the one kind of that's not good enough. So that's that's another fear is that they just sign Hosmer, they put all their eggs in that basket, and then they go get you know uh, it's it's the angels right now, right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> a, a worse angels. Uh, because yeah, trying a bunch of dudes. Yeah, um, you know, then they go 
get Cliff Pennington or somebody or Trevor Plouffe for third base and Cameron Maben or something for center. And it's like, okay, well, there you go. We tried. You know, it's like, no, no, no. So not that I don't want them to resign these players, but that's not good enough. Signing one guy is not good enough. Just signing Moustakas alone isn't good enough. Even Kane, you know, you need like a bunch of these. You need all these guys really to, and even all these guys you're not even guaranteed again because they've had these guys the past two years and the past two years they've finished at or below 500. Um, so even signing those three guys isn't a guarantee uh, that you're going to you know, necessarily be good. So that's, that's yeah, what I, I think, think I think if they did re-sign Hosmer, I think they would do so with the understanding that, look, we've got a lot of bad contracts through next year. Yeah. And it, it's going to be a lean year, and we're going to try to figure some some stuff out. We need you to be a mentor to some of these younger guys. And after a year, we're going to start kick-starting another con- wave of contention yeah. and, and and go from there. Maybe they can sell them on that. I don't know. Maybe Hosmer is really keen on on, on contending again next yeah. year. I don't know. But I don't think I don't, I think everyone would be would go into this with their eyes. I don't even think Dayton Moore thinks that they'll be contender, even if they brought back two of these guys. Like if Kane and Hosmer decided to stay, I, I don't think even he thinks they would be a contender. I think you would see this as like a, a transition year yeah. to the next wave of Royals uh, players. The problem is, I mean, where are these players coming from? <laughs> like, yeah. You know, you know the farm system. I think better than anyone on our site. You know, you know, you know the state of the yeah, system. It's not, not good. Yeah, there's nobody so, that's gonna. There's no top 100 prospects. I mean, there's yeah. there's not anybody. The closest no, guy close. was Matt Strom, and he's gone. Yeah. Um, uh, and oh, shoot, what was I gonna say? Uh, you know, I would wonder if they would give Hosmer an opt out after like two years. If he'd say, "Hey, oh, you yeah. know what?" Right. If yeah. we're not good in the next two years, you're you're free to go. That will be our rebuild. That'll That'd be, be interesting. Our flag, yeah. You know, but yeah. I don't know. Okay. Well, I guess we'll just kind of wait and see. And you know, we're not even at the off season technically yet, so we still got some time. And then we'll have the GM meetings and figure out from there. But who knows? And a month from now, more might not even be the GM. And I would imagine any new GM would probably come in and, and tear it down. I, I can't imagine. And you know, well, unless it's Piccolo, they might just you know promote Piccolo and then. He'll probably keep it the same kind of thing, although I don't know a lot about Piccolo. You know, obviously I've never talked to him, um, uh, but I would I wonder where, I wonder how, how either alike or different he and Dayton Moore. Um, you know, usually if you're the CEO, your CFO, or your CIO, they kind of have some of the same similarities and traits as you. So I, I wonder if Piccolo kind of sees the organization the same way that Moore does. I mean... That's either good or bad, but you know, if if they brought in a new GM, a new GM would probably clean house as far as really rebuild. But Piccolo might keep it, even if I think if more left, we would all be like, oh great, we can finally maybe do a rebuild. But if it's just Piccolo or it's Lonnie Goldberg or um, you know Raul Banez or something, I think it would probably just be more of the same. You know, it'd be it, the the train would stay on the same track. Yeah, and I think I think. It, I think... Ninety-nine percent. I would be ninety-nine percent sure it would be Piccolo would be yeah. the GM if Dayton Moore left. And I, I yeah, I tend to agree. I think it would probably be more the same. But you never, yeah, you, like you know, you say I, you never know. I mean, he could be a different personality yeah. that uh, believes different things, and and uh, I think it would be a lot of the same people in place in the yeah. front office. But it may be a it may be a different direction. He may have his own opinions on on which way to take the, yeah. the franchise. I guess the one thing that would concern me a little bit, I think Piccolo on the surface seems bright and seems, you know, like a good candidate. Uh, it does concern me a little bit. That he's interviewed for like, I think three jobs and oh, been passed yeah. over each time. So, you know, and those, the, those teams, I think, you know, it was the Phillies and the, was it the twins that passed him over? 
And I think the Astros passed him over for um, uh, oh, Lunau. Yeah. Um, so, and, you know, those are all great candidates that, you know, it's not like he got beat out by a, a bum. Yeah. All those teams have had, you know, some success. Clint Phillies, maybe not yet. but Yeah. Twins, um, Phillies, definitely. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Um, and let me just see. But, yeah, no, I, I'm with you. That he... Yeah, Bacolo, yeah. He interviewed for Houston Astros general manager. Yes, sir. He went to so, George Mason. George Mason? I, what did Dayton, I feel like Dayton Moore went to George Mason. Yeah, Dayton did. Okay. Dayton he, uh, was a coach there, I believe. Okay. So I don't know if Bacolo was one of his players. I don't remember. But, yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It, it's. Uh, it, I don't know if we necessarily get a different direction with a, with a new GM. I, and I think if anyone – I think people want to think that we'd hire some new hot young analytics guy, but yeah. – you know, I you know David Glass. If when people should remember that when if he didn't get Dayton Moore, he was going to hire Ed Wade, oh, you know, yeah, former Astros. Right. I mean, he, I mean, he asked his buddy Drayton McLean, who owned the Astros back at the time, like, "Hey, who's a good general manager?" And he said Ed Wade. <laughs> so that was and it was it was Ed Wade or Randy Smith, who was Randy Smith was an old school disaster of a GM for the Tigers. So it's not like you know, at least if the last round is any indication, it's not like D- David Glass was like kind of at the forefront of. Um, you know, great general manager candidates, but maybe things have changed in ten years, and 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 because it seems like everyone's making really good GM hire. I don't think there's yeah. a team out there. I mean, there's probably one or two teams out there that I would say are really terrible in the front office. Like yeah. even Arizona is kind of know they they know what they're doing now that they got rid of yeah. Arusa and Stewart, and like everyone's pretty well run now. Yeah, um, I'm thinking, and even like the Twins, they were old school like. On analytics forever, and now yeah. and they got uh, foul. Now they're talking about striking guys out. They're yeah, guys right now. Guys out, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, Kim Ning would be great, uh, like the female GM that gets kind of batted around, and she seems incredibly smart, especially if she's working mm-hmm. for the Dodgers. Um, but well, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be Piccolo, most likely. Yeah. Well, we'll see if if more leaves. I'm sure we'll have plenty of names in a general manager candidate article. <laughs> yeah. 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 Okay, um, and then uh, I'll give you the – well, okay, so some more changes that we could touch on here. Um, coaching changes. I always – you're a lot better at remembering coaching names than I am. Uh, so we had some changes. You want to tell us what happened? Yeah, so they parted ways with Dave Island, the pitching coach. Uh, it sounded like they just wanted to get like a new voice uh, for the younger pitchers, although uh, there may be more there than yeah. – than- you know, or it just could be like they were t- tired of each other. I mean, it's, I think he's been here since 2009, I want to say. So eventually, you know, you just want to move on. Uh, and he may not want to be here for a, a rebuild either. So he may want to be for, with a contender. Uh, hitting coach Dale Svame, uh, yeah. who's, you know, been a little, uh, you know, maligned in, among fans a little bit. He's going to move to bench coach, which has caused some people to think, you know, maybe he's the heir apparent to Ned Yost as manager because bench coaches frequently take over as manager eventually and he did he did that in milwaukee <laughs> yeah when uh yost was fired uh so he's moving to bench coach uh they let go of bullpen coach doug henry oh, that's uh and and old ben, old bench coach don wakamatsu as well uh rusty Kuntz is unfortunately leaving he's gonna stay in the organization in a part-time role it sounds okay. like i think he wants, he wants I remember to kind of seeing that meyer was gonna take Okay, I forgot. I wasn't sure if it was just another we'll wait and see, but he was – yeah, that's right. Yeah, Mitch Meyer is for sure taking over as okay. first base coach. So. Oh, great. Yeah, uh, so good for him. So, But right now they still have openings at pitching coach and hitting coach, and 
I guess they've said they're, they're looking at internal candidates and external candidates, and we'll have to see. I don't know when they're going to announce that, but probably in the next, you know, after the World Series, because a lot, a lot, there's a lot of coaching yeah. changes out around baseball right now. It's kind of amazing how many really good pitching coaches are getting fired this week. But uh, there's a lot of good names out there. Yeah, we talked what Warthen, um Dan Warthen, who like was with the Mets for a long yep. time, um, created the Warthen uh, slider. Kind of been, yeah, has been out there for a long time. Yeah, uh, Derek Lilliquist, who. Yep. Was with the Cardinals for the last six, seven years, and you know worked with a lot of their young pitchers. Uh, Chris Basio is really the surprising one. Yeah. Let go over think over the weekend, but by the Cubs, and the Cubs of course had a lot of success. Uh, Islands out there. Um, uh, Red Sox coach Carl Willis is sounds like he's in limbo right now since John Farrell got fired. Jim Mike Hickey. Maddox, oh, Jim yeah. Hickey, Jim Hickey with the Rays, Mike Maddox with the Nationals, both free agents right now. Yeah, so. man, there is a bunch, and those are all a lot of those are teams with guys. I mean, the Rays, the Nationals. The Cardinals all have strong track records of having really good pitchers. Mm-hmm. I wonder if he worked under Dave Duncan at all. Uh, Who's that? The Cardinals pitching coach. Yeah, Lilliquist did. He uh, okay. worked under Duncan. Yeah, and uh, you know, the, and one of the interesting names I thought, and if I had to like put money on an internal candidate uh, that you should kind of keep an eye on, is Cal Eldred, the former Brewers pitcher. He's uh, he's working in the Royals front office, and he but he used to work with the Cardinals. Oh, uh, kind of as their. He was a he was called a life skills coach. Oh yeah, yeah. which uh, but he's kind of basically helping out their minor leaguers. So, uh, you know, I had heard he might be a candidate for the Cardinals' job, uh, but it wouldn't surprise me if the Royals were considering him as well for their job. So it's kind of he's kind of a I don't know just kind of a name to kind of keep in mind if if they do go with an internal candidate. But uh, we know we don't know. We'll see. We'll see where they go. Did you know that Reggie Sanders is the special assistant to baseball operations? I had no I idea. did. I did. I had him as a hitting coach candidate. Oh my! I, which that. he has no coaching experience, but um, huh. yeah, yeah, and, he's been working in front office. And Rafael Bellia. Oh, Rafael Bellia too. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't know. I don't know why I didn't notice that. Okay. Go to go to any team's front office page, and you'll be kind of amazed how many like ex ball players are mm. special assistants to something. You know, like I don't know that they, you know, as far as I know, they just kind of put on a uniform in spring training and kind of work with the minor leaguers a yeah. little bit. I don't know what they do in the, during the regular season. They probably just kind of rove around, you know, the, all the affiliates and yeah. help guys. Sweeney was help out in Arizona. He was down yeah, in Lexington, I think, in Wilmington for a while. I mean, yeah, he was he was big at roving. That's right. And Belliard was in Atlanta probably with more. Okay, at the same time. I was thinking, like, what does Belliard have to do with the Royals? But it's state. It's, I guess, yeah. more probably. I, I think he's been actually a legit coach in the minors before. Belliard oh, okay. has. A lot of these guys are just kind of just retired, and they're looking – for a job in baseball, Eldred he's worked as a as a coach a little yeah. bit, but but Sanders so far I think he's only his first or second year. I think he worked with the Diamondbacks a little bit before, but he's he's kind of new to this. Huh. Yeah, I was just thinking. And then there's Jason Kendall too. Yeah, watch oh, out for Jason. Kendall. Yeah, yeah, he yeah, could be. He, right. I wouldn't be surprised if he gets added to the coaching staff. Hey, I didn't realize. Maybe I should have known this. Rusty Kuntz's son it works for the the team. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, he's a, he's a he was a assistant. Yeah, yeah, he's a minor leaguer in the system for a couple of years. And, yeah, that's and that's right. that, like a lot of the guys are also former minor leaguers that didn't pan I, out. I remember him in the minors, but I didn't realize he got hired. Okay, uh, yeah, he applied behavioral science at KU. There you go. Okay, that's not bad. <laughs> I guess it's an easy way. I mean, nepotism exists everywhere, and maybe that wasn't nepotism, but you know, it's nice that if your dad's, you know, the coach of the team or one of the coaches. Okay, well. The it'd be great to have. I like Warden a lot, um, just overall. If only because you know he basically revolutionized sliders in the modern day. Um, but of course, now all the Mets coaches are now the Mets pitchers are getting injured, 
and the Royals don't exactly have the you know best track record with pitchers not being injured, um, given all the. I think at one point they had like the second or third most Tommy John surgeries in all of baseball over a given span. Um, but that would be kind of a good one. And, of course, uh, Hickey uh, with the Rays. Of course, the Royal, Royal switchers have to learn how to throw high fastballs and sinkers. Um, but I don't know. It's kind of interesting how when a new pitching coach comes in, how he just says, you know, this is my pitch. You, you guys need to learn how to do it. So, And it seems like like – 60 to 70 percent of the pitching coaches maybe this is more the case a couple of years ago i think it's probably changing but like hey what's your pitching philosophy oh throw strikes early com- you know command yeah. the fastball it's yeah, like yeah, yeah. oh okay like any high school coach could have told you that yeah. like you know and i'm sure they work on some pitches but i think that's changing a little bit like guys like Warthen and ray searage or are you know with the pirates are really kind of working on on specific pitches yeah. uh one name we haven't talked about is brian bannister the former royals yeah. pitcher uh who's now working in the red sox his title is officially assistant pitching coach, but he really works more in the front office right, with the minor, the and works like, with the minor leaguers yeah. uh, doing the analytics. Uh, but he's, you know, he was credited with turning around the career of Rich Hill uh, by getting him to throw more curveballs and, and, and uh, increase his spin rate. Uh, you know, obviously really in tune with the stats, but also has the, you know, the, you know, the mentality of the pitcher and knows that side of things. So he'd be, yeah, I think he'd be a very attractive candidate for a lot of teams. I, I agree. And if he wants to do it. But that would be a great hire, I think. Yeah, I definitely. And, I mean, I, I, I don't know what his motivation would or wouldn't be, but, I mean, I would wonder if he would go, you know, a pitching coach. He seems to me, though, that he doesn't want to he doesn't want to be a pitching coach in the sense that I think he probably sees himself more as, like, a front office, like, move his way up, mm-hmm. potential GM. And I don't know how many pitching coaches become GMs. Um, so I, I, it seems like he's might be, he'd be great, but I, I feel like he's, he would rather pursue a job somewhere in the front office than, you it's know, it almost seems like he's overqualified. Yeah. 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 Perhaps. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah, but he'd be great. And, um, yeah, I forgot about, and that was, you, you talked about throw strikes early. That was Dave Duncan's philosophy. I was just trying to think of what his thing was, but it's right. It was mm-hmm. Just get ahead early. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's weird how they just come in and say okay this is what you guys are going to do now and yeah uh, okay well so changes we know that's coming um so you wrote a little bit about kind of the schedule of the off season uh what do we have coming up if you can recall oh that was actually matthew lamar oh, okay. i don't want to steal steal his glory but uh you, you, you talked about it. i mean there's the royals will have uh the gm meetings here in a couple weeks um but five days after the World Series, I believe it is, they have to yeah. make decisions on qualifying offers. Yeah. Which I don't know. What do you? What's? I, I think you've been touting uh, being aggressive about yeah. making qualifying. Offers. I even I even felt this way last like before the old in the old CBA, where it's like you know what I would give every fringe candidate a QL because players love to bet on themselves. And now that the penalty is lower uh, for signing a QL player, oh, I'd offer it to everybody. Um, mm-hmm. That I mean, for the most part, I wouldn't give Alcides Escobar one, but you know, I would give one for uh, Kane, Hosmer, Mustakis, Minor, Vargas. Am I missing anybody? I think that's it uh, for the most guys. Yeah, I mean, the excuse me, the guy that I'm the most on the edge on, like fifty-fifty, would be Vargas. Um, Not Minor. Yeah, I man, I really think if thirty-five-year-old Ryan Madsen can get twenty. Three million dollars. I think you could get. I think Miner 
could get a few years and more. It's not just about the AAV that, yeah, the AAV would be a little higher. I mean, he's not going to top 18 million AAV, but it's like, I mean, he could get 25, maybe 30 million. I mean, he could convince a team, he says, hey, look, I'm 30, pretty dang young overall for a pitcher, for a free agent pitcher. I used to be really good. I My velocity's back. I just had a really great relief season. So worst case is you've got a pretty good left-handed reliever. Um, we're in an era where bullpens are used more than ever before in the past, and people are trying to put together elite bullpens. I mean, what's 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 the downside of giving him you know twenty five thirty million spread over three four years? I mean, you're talking eight nine million a year AAV, and uh, you're coughing up a third round pick or a second round or you know a, a second yeah second round pick depending on what their uh, payroll is. So, I mean, I don't know. I don't think it's a slam dunk offer like Hosmer and Moustakis, but uh, you let you let Mike Miner decide that because you don't need Miner doesn't have to sign for higher than eighteen million to AV. He just has to think he has to sign for higher than that, and he's yeah. got ten days to decide that. So I'm not convinced that if you'd offer to him that he wouldn't say, you know what, I'm going to bet on myself. Maybe I screw myself over doing this, but let me you know, uh, let me see what I can get because if I can go out and I can get twenty five million dollars. Yeah, it's not going to be $18 million AV, but it's going to be whatever that is, 30% more than what I would have taken with this one-year QO. And what happens if I get injured this year and I accept the QO? I might never mm-hmm. pitch again. I've already been injured. I already missed two years completely. Right, right. I'm going to now be 31. I mean, again, it's not a slam dunk, but I mean, he just has to think he's going to make more than that. And it's possible. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah, I think I think players are wising up to the QO system in that, you know, I think you saw more and more guys yeah. accept accepting it. Whereas I think at first they're like, Oh yeah, why would you ever accept that? Yeah. And now we saw like, you know, Brett Anderson Hellickson. and Jeremy Hellickson yeah. and Colby Rasmus. But, uh, on the other hand, you're not forfeiting a first round pick for these guys yeah. anymore. Uh, so it seems like it would be more likely that guys would reject the qualifying offer knowing that they're probably going to get the deal that they want now. Whereas in the past, you know, guys like Irvin Santana, Stephen Drew, Kendrick Morales got put into that QO limbo where teams didn't yeah. want to sign them because they didn't want to forfeit a first-round pick, and they weren't good enough to warrant a first-round pick. Well, that's not an issue anymore. So, yeah, I can kind of see, I can kind of see that being making more guys reject it. it gives it gives them more incentive to reject it now. So, uh, yeah, I kind of see your logic. I mean, just man, eighteen million dollars no, for Gallup. Yeah, I think seven, <laughs> seventeen like and a half. Lot. Yeah, I guess yeah. So yeah, now. seventeen and a half now. So but, yeah. Um, I mean. And also, maybe it's a little bit of it, like, one, if the Royals are going to be bad, he, I mean, does he really want to hang around? I know that yeah. that's a weird excuse because, I mean, $18 million to play baseball, I don't give a crap how good or bad my team is. Um, right. But he might want to go somewhere else. And uh, does he really want another one-year deal? I mean, you know, that's weird yeah. to say. But, you know, it's kind of – there are no, some but, things no, in motion no, there. You know? People underrate that. I think pe- players want stability more than people realize. And they, yeah, they don't think they want to be signing one-year deals every year. And they would like that's why they like the three-year deal because it gives them they know they know they yeah. can buy a house in Kansas City or yeah. Atlanta, whatever. Yeah. So yeah, I think that does actually matter. I don't think a it's a slam dunk, but I think it's worth exploring. And I would I would make Mike Miner say no to mm-hmm. or say whatever. I would have him make that decision. And right. I mean, worst case is you're paying him. And then you can just trade him at the deadline, hopefully, if he's good. Um, but I don't know. So so I wonder with the new labor deal, 
I don't think the Royals will. I don't. I, I mean, yeah, I, I, no, I see your logic. I don't think so either. Yeah. But I wonder if there is going to be like a more, you know, savvy team that is hyper aggressive offering these guys. Because like, yeah, you know, like you said, like if you like if you're the Padres, and I don't even know if they have any impending free agents, but like, what's the downside? Like they already have a terrible roster yeah. with with a lot of they're paying a lot of people already not to play baseball for them yeah. right now. Yeah. Um, and they need young talent. Uh, so like, why wouldn't you offer that for a lot of guys? So yeah, I kind of see that. Yeah, for for teams like that, I don't. I just don't. See, I don't think the Royals are going to be in that. No, I wouldn't think so. But I mean, I don't know. That's yeah, in my dream world. That's it. And Vargas yeah. is the other one where I think I, the Vargas one is. I think Vargas will look for his last con. Like this will be his last deal. Whatever mm-hmm. you know, wherever he goes, this will probably be his last contract. Yeah, and, and I don't think he'd want to end it on a one year deal. I think he would look for something a little longer. Yeah, you no. know, again, he's not going to get seventeen and a half million AAV, but I think Volk has got two twenty something like that. Uh, two twenty six, I want to say. Oh, okay, so and that's yeah. considerably more. I mean, that's reasonably more. Yeah, um, almost and nine million more. Vargas, yeah, and Vargas is like the. Oh, I'm sorry, it's two years, twenty two million. So we're okay. split a little bit. But uh, Vargas is like the fifth best pitcher. Yeah. On the market this week. Yeah, I don't. I kind of see the case for. I mean, I do see the case for Vargas. Pretty pretty good and. Uh, yeah, I think he would turn it down for like a two, three, because I think he could probably get a three-year deal in this. Yeah, no, I agree. So, uh, yeah, absolutely, I would offer him one. So. Rich Hill got, I mean, is is Rich Hill, I don't remember if Rich Hill was noticeably, I mean, it's a weird kind of case scenario, but like Rich Hill was, what, 38, and then he hadn't played baseball in a few years, and uh, he kind of had bounced around. I guess he had, coming off, he had like a four-win season, uh, 3.8 FR, but... I mean that's another one thing. It's like if Rich Hill can get three years, forty-eight million, um, then I mean, I and he made Vargas... twenty. He made yeah, and he made twenty starts the year before he got that deal. Yeah. And you know, outstanding in those twenty starts. Yeah. but a big injury risk. Yeah, uh, at age thirty-seven. Yeah, like, yeah. And he got so. Of course, he got it to the team that happens to have forty-eight million dollars to to give out right, like it's right. a signing bonus. Um, but yeah, no, I'm. I think Vargas, you could definitely. I mean, it'll be his last deal, and I don't think he's going to want to settle with a one-year, you know, seventeen half million dollar final year. He's made plenty of money in his career. I think that he was going to be like, okay, let me get some security for the next few years. Let me, you know, as far as where I'm going to be, pick who, where he wants to go. I mean, no offense, but playing baseball in Kansas City is not the most, isn't the best climate um, to be in, especially for a guy who's from California. Uh, you know, I don't know. Hey, and you make a good point. It's not necessarily what they'll get or what people think they will get. It's what they think they'll yeah. get. And, you know, remember when Irvin Santana was a free agent and his agent was saying, he'll get $100 million. Yeah. And then he goes out there and he finds, oh, oops, no one wants to give me yeah. this money because I've got a qualif- you know, I've got a draft yeah. pick attached to me. Well, you know, if players <laughs> – Eric Hosmer thinks he's worth $200 million. I mean, players yeah. – they are their, their advisors or their agents are there to kind of – boost up and overrate them as players that's their job i mean so the players hear a lot of that and they think they're worth a lot a lot more than they probably are and so you know they may make a miscalculation say hey, i'm worth more than that i can go out and get a three four year deal easy yeah so i'm going to turn down 18 million so yeah it's it's and i wonder, wonder if there's some agents that are like if like like if jason vargas agent they go oh jason the world's offered you qo and vargas like oh i should obviously take that right Vargas, and then the agent will be like, "Yeah, you're you're not good enough to get a multi-year deal. You need to just take this one-year deal." I mean, I, I would imagine <laughs> someone yeah. would be like, "Yeah, sure." I, I mean, yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, Escobar would take one eighteen million, but I mean, someone who 
like Vargas or um, uh, or Santana. I mean, you know, Santana had a nice reputation as a pretty good number three pitcher. Um, mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, agents are complicit. They, they're not going to trash their client to their client, you know? Well, and the thing is, like, you don't know how much, you know, you don't know if you're worth $100 million until you ask. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah. So, uh, I don't know. It, okay. it, it'll be an interesting game to play, and, and we'll see what the Royals do. But um, yeah, I, I, you've talked me into being hyper aggressive with the qualifying. Ah, you make a good point. Nice. Um, so yeah, so we've got that the QO thing, and then we've got free agency. I think what's that? Like the day after the World Series, I think players file for free agency, something like that. Uh, let's see. They they've got a quiet period. Well, they I think they've got the five day period after the World oh, Series the make qualifying offer, huh. uh, and that's kind of like their exclusive negotiating period. Oh, which yeah, that's right. There's no, there's no negotiate. I mean, they're not gonna the the big free agents like Hosmer. They're gonna yeah. want the market. So, and after that, they can file for free agency. Um, and the Royals I think have nine free agents. Uh, not you know, it's not just the big guys we talked about. It's also Trevor Cahill, uh, Peter Moylan, uh, Melky Cabrera. So and you know they can't make a qualifying offer to Cabrera because yeah. he wasn't on the team all year. But um, but uh, you know there, there's those guys and Alcides Escobar who you know there have been rumors all year that they're interested in bringing him back, which uh, doesn't make any sense to me. But um, yeah, that seems like a Royals thing to do. That doesn't it? <laughs> My God, yes. Just just because we can't have a middle infield that's ever good, uh, and then when we finally have, you know, Merrifield was good this year, and there's been years when Cabrera or Cabrera when Escobar has been. Okay, um, you know, we just have to keep bringing bringing in back the bad players. You have to trade for Betancourt twice, so or not trade for, but acquire Betancourt twice in some capacity. Ah. All right, so I don't know. I think we've got some stuff to look forward to, though. Thankfully, right? Yeah, I think it would be an interesting off season, no matter what. I mean, just because they have, I mean, we're really at a crossroads with this franchise. I mean, we we just we just don't even know which direction they're going to go. Yeah, but I think right. it's part of what makes it so exciting. And you know, Dave Moore even said something like that, like you know, our fans. And I kind of almost felt like he was talking about our site specifically, since we're <laughs> such nerds about this stuff. But it's like you know, the fans really like seeing a team rebuild and 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 uh, going through that process. So it'll be a lot of fan fun for the fans. Yeah. And, you know, we can all kind of sit back and, and second guess or, or you know applaud the decisions they make. But, you know, either way, it's going to be, I think, an interesting offseason. Well, hey, and then we've got GM uh, for the listeners who might not. I mean, if you've been on our side for a while, you should probably be familiar with it. But the general manager simulation that Max holds every year where he gets 30 representatives for all teams, generally from the other SB Nation baseball uh, respective sites. And we do um, kind of a mock offseason in three days, effectively, doing – trades and signings and and whatnot so that's coming up and we'll get to see what general manager josh dugan does for the royals every year right yeah unless he leaves for another job like the atlanta braves yeah, uh we'll see, yeah, we'll see. and uh, you know you, you usually are good, pretty good about filling in for a team yeah uh who, who did you have last year the pirates the pirates yeah i made yeah some, I, they people were really impressed with they usually haven't seen the Sean that goes for it. Usually they, I think they, because I've had the Marlins where I tore down the Marlins uh, mm. and I had the Nationals. I didn't tear down the Nationals, uh, but they expected me to just tear down the Pirates. It's like, no, I traded for Joey Votto. I <laughs> traded for Matt Harvey. I was like, Billy Hamilton was like, yeah, let's go ahead and do this. Um, so we'll see where I end up this year. I do kind of like being able to rove around and not be, you know, stuck on one team, but yeah, um, yeah no, that's coming up. So that'll be great. So a lot of things yeah. look forward to overall. Yeah, it's always fascinating to me, like what big names get traded because, and I feel like some of it's, you know, a little forced. It, it, 
Well, it's just like you're not attached to the yeah, franchise right. like you would be. Like in real life, it'd be very, very, very difficult to trade Joey, Joey Vada, Vada yeah. because he's so enmeshed in the community. The fan base would be enraged. Uh, you know, it's, it's a real person that you have to sit and say, hey, you're, we've traded you. Yeah. Uh, but, in you know, in a simulation, you know, you just, you know, swap some email and say, hey, Vado for these five prospects. Okay. And yeah. Like, yeah. yeah. People feel just like make they have to make a move, too. They, nobody wants to yeah. just sit and do, hey, you want to do this GM simulation? Sure. And then you just, you go bid on Adam Lind. I mean, nobody's yeah. going to do that. I'm going to pick I'm gonna pick up Kelly Johnson and Adam yeah. Lind and call it a day. <laughs> yeah. Like, no. Yeah. They make a lot. They, and, 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 you know, you it's all you're inheriting a team too, so you want to kind of make the team over in your, you yeah. know, the way you want feel like a team should be constructed. So yeah, yeah it's but so there's way more moves than you would normally see in an off season, but yeah, it's still kind of fun to see what people come up with. Like it's fun to see like what people think the trade value is. Yeah, like yeah. this guy is worth these three prospects. Rick, like, really? Yeah, yeah. Or like, and then the free agent. What's really fascinating to me is how much people pay for free agents. <laughs> we try to we try to cap people's budgets, but it's just every year it seems like the free agent dollars just get yeah. Crazy at the at the high and like Ben Zobris what got like a hundred and forty million dollars like some ridiculous deal a couple years ago in yeah. our simulation so I did like we had uh, a few years back excuse me uh, the or the Jays someone took over the Jays and like he wrote out this long argument about how like he he went like fifty sixty million over the recommended payroll no, He's like, yeah. he goes no no Rogers the Rogers Corp would submit all, it's like all right I mean. We get it. If you want to do that, that's fine. But it's like, you know, we're trying to keep, you know, the Yankees well, could go sign everybody. But, you know, that's not, yeah. And how is that fun? Like, that's not yeah. showing you're, you're a smarter general manager than, uh, you know, yeah. the, what they have in place. You're, you're just spending more fake dollars. Like, yeah. you, what I would want to do, and I think you do this really well, is like you try to see how the best trade you can make in a budget and, yeah. and kind of make things, you know, it's a challenge, I think. So, yeah. I like that's. I would want to keep it way under the budget, but you know, some no, people just want. To, yeah. Some people want to say, "Oh, I, I was able to bring in this big star," and it's yeah. like, "Well, not really. It's, it's fake." <laughs> yeah. But it's always fun, and I'm excited for it. Uh, so we've got that, and then the normal off-season stuff, and I imagine we'll do more podcasts. Uh, probably we'll do one sometime quickly after the World Series, and we'll talk about. I think I think we'll either wait. We'll either do it right before QOs go out or right after QOs go out. I think it might be a little better. I think we've, I think everybody's pretty much said what they had to say about who should get QOs and not. So I think maybe after um, the QOs go out and stuff like that, we, we'll have one. So here in the next few weeks, I imagine we'll follow up. Um, did you uh, Did you want to talk about the World Series here for a second? Sure. Even though the Royals aren't in it, like, yeah. Who do you Who do you got? Who I had it half. I had it half right uh, on on Twitter. I said. Uh, Nationals and Astros for the World Series, and I don't know what the hell I was thinking, thinking that the Nationals could ever win a playoff series. I, it's, it's unbelievable how they've never won a playoff series um, with how good they've been and how many chances they've had. But here he goes. I, I thought they'd do it this year. I thought they'd beat the Cubs, and they almost did. Um, but, you know, they didn't. And so uh, this is great. I love this play. I, I love the Dodgers versus Astros. That's the two best teams how often has the World Series been legitimately the two best teams in the league? I mean, not that often it feels like, right? Yeah, and they're two fun teams to watch. Like yeah. I, I feel like I've, and I don't know if it's because the Royals are, are were a factor now or a factor now, but I feel like I'm like way more engaged in these playoffs than I've been since yeah. really I was a kid. Like I, and I maybe also that could be because my kid is who's nine is now into really into the oh, playoffs, yeah. really into the baseball playoffs. 
Um, so he's he's been watching with me, and it's been kind of fun to see it through his eyes. Like he, he really likes uh, the Astros and, and the Dodgers as well. And uh, and yeah, because they're just like a lot of really fun. Like Jose Altuve, like how yeah. much what a what a better story and what a more fun player. You know, there's not much more players fun to watch than that. Uh, and then in the, in the Nationals, you know, or the Dodgers, you have like uh, you know Yasiel Puig, who's you know I guess a lighting rod a little bit. Uh, but certainly interesting to watch. You got Clayton Kershaw, the, probably the best pitcher of yeah. our generation. Yeah. Uh, you got cool stories like Chris Taylor, who was just like yeah. a nobody with the Mariners. Zach and, Leaf and they DFA'd Zach Lee. Like they didn't even pitch for him. Yeah. yeah. And Justin so. Turner was got for cheap. I mean, yeah, they've got all these great storylines everywhere. I mean, you've got the two like maybe most analytical front offices. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's great. I mean, this is. Two huge markets, which I mean, I know people think, oh, Fox is just, you know, oh, they're seeing the dollar size in their eyes. But I mean, there's a ton of Dodgers fans, there's a ton of Astros fans. This is great for, there's two large fan bases, you know, enjoying baseball. I mean, that's and these aren't dynasties. I mean, the Astros yeah. have never won a World Series. Yeah. The the Dodgers haven't won one since 88. Yeah. The 80, so yeah. these are long suffering fan bases. Maybe not long suffering like the Royals fans were, but they, they haven't had. A lot, of, I mean, a lot of postseason success. Yeah. Uh, the, the Astros have never won a World Series game. I mean, they won the World Series they made. They got swept. Yeah. So, um, and we so, were, yeah, talking, I, we're talking about in 2013, they lost 111 games, the Astros. Yeah. I mean, like, this is great for the people who stuck around and watched that and went through that. I mean, Lord knows the Royals fans went through all that crap for 30 years. And it's like, I mean, it's it, our payoff took a little longer, unfortunately. But it's still, it's you know, imagine watching a 111-loss team and then, Four years later, they're in the World Series. I mean, it's great. So who you got? Uh, who's going to win? Wait, who's got – is it in L.A. first or is it in Houston first? Oh, that's a good question. I didn't even know. I didn't think about that. Let me see. Because it's, it's, it's not based on <laughs> it's not a world... stupid All-Star game anymore. Uh, yeah, well, I think it's based on most wins. Yeah. Now. It's oh, it's LA. the Dodgers. Yeah, yeah Dodgers. Uh, so, okay, so two in L.A., then three in Houston. Uh, I don't know. Uh, I'm gonna just say I'm gonna say the Dodgers. They're, they're the better team by by just a bit. They're the better team, um, just because I think you've got Kershaw and Hill and Wood and Maeda. I think Maeda's out of the bullpen. Oh, and Darvish. How could I forget Darvish? So yeah, I like I like the Dodgers pitching staff a little bit more. The Astros' offense is arguably the best offense ever. Um, but I still like the Dodgers. They get the home field advantage. They get Kershaw and Darvish, who are better. Both are probably better than Verlander. I think Darvish Verlander, you could make a case. They're pretty close to each other. But Kershaw's without a doubt better than anybody that uh, they can offer. And then, you know, the Astros have to then throw Charlie Morton. And they've got McCullers. Uh, and then, you know, Keiko. I mean, not that Keiko's bad. But I, I think that I think, I think there is a bigger weakness the difference between the Dodgers pitching staff um, and the Dodgers probably have a better bullpen too. Oh uh, uh, yeah, <laughs> than than the Astros. So yeah, yeah, uh, the Astros the bullpen gives me a lot of. Uh, if I was a Houston fan, it would give me a lot of worry. Oh, that's not that is not a good bullpen. <laughs> Ken Giles and, is both so good and so bad. Like he's if it's going right, Ken Giles is really good. But if it's going bad, he's giving up home runs and walks. He's oh my goodness, yeah, yeah. he's stressful. So who do you have? I have the Dodgers. I mean, the Astros bullpen, I think, is going to cost them a couple of games. If you have Francisco Liriano warming yeah. up in the critical point of a playoff game, you don't have a good, very good bullpen. Yeah. So, and Davinsky, uh, yeah, I think, is Davinsky on the right? Why do I feel like we haven't even seen Davinsky? Maybe he's hurt. 
I believe he's hurt. Yeah, okay. Because yeah, he hasn't pitched at all. Yeah, I was thinking I haven't even seen him. Yeah. Yeah. So, they're, I mean, they're missing him. Um, that's right. Okay. And uh, so, yeah, it's, it's that's the big separator, I, yeah. I think, between the two teams. And um, it's, I don't know. Like, I think Houston's done so many smart things, but just their bullpen uh, – development like they they're like the tigers like how could you overlook bu- the bullpen yeah so many i know the, the astros you know they went out and got giles and they s- assigned luke gregerson but um man, it just doesn't seem like they've developed yeah uh enough of a bull and i know bullpen create you know getting a bullpen can be difficult uh but it just seems, seems like that's they it seems like that they've had opportunities because they have such a deep farm system they can go out and get yeah tommy conley like tommy yeah. conley's out there obviously david robertson's out there they could have made those kind of trades way davis was out there yeah, uh, but um, they didn't make those trades, and it, it seems like that's going to cost them. But we'll see. Yeah. Okay. I think we're fair on that. So. Uh, oh, I, real quick. Last time that like the two best teams played, I mean, Cubs Indians last year. Was their team better than the Indians last year in the AL? Um. Maybe. Maybe I don't think so. Two thousand sixteen MLB. Yeah, the range. The Rangers have won one more game. Okay, well, I'm thinking kind of maybe just from like a pure talent. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like rather than just win loss record, um, like were the Indians heading? Sh- were were the Astros or the Rangers really better than the Indians, or did they just you know finish? I I, I think that the Indians might have been better last year from a talent standpoint. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Well, this is the first year. So this is the first year two 100 win teams yeah. have met in the World Series since 1970. So we're seeing two, yeah. which is you know not that surprising because you know we have add a layer of playoffs now, which teams can stumble so it's kind of nice to see the cream rise to the top and and we get two behind and i think i read a stat that in the past decade best 10 years 15 teams have half the league has made the world series which is great i mean that doesn't exist anywhere else um in sports at least as far as i I mean nba's got the i don't know if you saw that i tweeted out with the espn predictions for the nba's for the uh, the title winner yeah. it was all for everybody picked the Warriors which is yeah, hilarious yeah. Um, but yeah and, you know, the NFL used to be the poster child for parody and it's like well, yeah. the, you it's know crazy. the same five teams yeah. are in the Super like the Falcons kind of broke through last year but you know it's the Patriots it's the Steelers you know it's the same the Seahawks broke through and yeah. became you know one of those teams but you know it's it's the baseballs you know we complained about parody for a long time and it was you know it was a problem with the Yankees and the Braves, all yeah. the, you know, making the playoffs all the time, but yeah, they've really done a good job. Yeah. Uh, two wild card team winners made it three years ago. I mean, the World yeah. Series was two wild card winners. Uh, yeah. So, and yeah, it's a lot of big market teams right now. But you know, Cleveland's been successful. The Royals have been successful. Yeah. Tampa Bay's been successful. So there's there's some success stories. It's right. not. It certainly Royals fans feel like they have a chance. You yeah. know, the last couple of years. Yeah. Uh, in the season. So. And even like the Yankees, I mean, their payroll's not exorbitant, and a lot of their talent is guys that they built internally. Same thing with the Indians. I mean, not like the Indians went out and, uh, you know, paid a bunch of money for any of their guys. Really, I mean, I think like Kluber might be the most expensive guy on their team, and he was a guy they found and just extended. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. it's not like they're out there spending tons of dough. Uh, and even, I mean, the Dodgers. Obviously, they have the highest payroll, but you know their money isn't spent. A lot of their their best players are homegrown guys. Uh, you know, Kershaw's obviously making a lot, but you know he's a homegrown guy. But yeah, I mean, we're living in an age where, thankfully, I mean these players can be found, not found, but a lot of teams are building talent rather than just going out and buying. Talent. Right. I mean, no, there's the always Do- going to be free agents, but yeah, the Dodgers seem to spend money more to like hedge their bets, like. Yeah. 
there is we need depth. We need we need to come at you in waves. So yeah. we've got good building blocks, but because they can afford, uh, you know, that's the, and that's the difference between the Royals and the, the Dodgers. Why the Royals don't have depth? Some of that's because they don't develop well, but also the Dodgers can go out and get, you know, just Chase Utley or yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know, another a U Darvish at the deadline or yeah. something, something like that. Like, like they, they can, or you know, just signing guys to like they, they say Brett Anderson, knowing that he probably is not going to make more than a couple of starts for yeah. them. Or, you know, and a couple here years coming up eventually. I mean. Looking at their their most expensive players, just real quick, and then we could wrap it up. Is uh, I mean Kershaw making thirty five million, but you know he's a homegrown guy, and you know to his credit, he's the best pitcher in baseball. So it's not you know he they're not going to wise use some money. <laughs> yeah, they're not going to lose him. But like Adrian Gonzalez was injured the whole year. The next guy, Scott Casimir, was injured. Andre Ethier barely played. Granderson, they didn't they trade for Granderson? I think. Yeah, the deadline. Uh, so yeah, so he wasn't even like originally there. Uh, Justin Turner, they picked up and then they re-signed him. So I mean, these aren't guys. I mean, you know, they're not going out just buying Manny Machado's and Bryce Harper's and young talent. Now, I mean, they might when they're free agents, but I mean, they're the guys they're spending money on is are are depth guys. They're core guys: Bellinger, Seager. Uh, you know, Jansen's making a bunch, but again, Jansen is a homegrown guy. So I mean, they're spending a lot of money on homegrown guys, which is great. I mean, that's. That's what um, you know. Big market teams could do. Of course, it doesn't help that they're paying twenty-one million dollars to Carl Crawford and eight million dollars to Alex Guerrero and Matt Kemp and all these yeah. other guys that aren't even on the roster anymore. Uh, but you know, so that's that's the advantage. Part, they can they can make mistakes. Yeah, the Royals exactly. have to live with Alex Gordon. The Dodgers yeah. can just eh, well that didn't work out. Let's yeah. get rid of him. Yeah. yeah so. Perfect. All right. Well, uh, any last words? Anything else we want to talk about or get off? Uh nope I think uh, things are going great and cool <laughs> for the for the side and everyone's yeah. I'm, I'm glad that the community's still being you know they're still engaged I think in some ways like the community is excited about a potential yeah. rebuild or at least a transition because that means something new and and yeah you know, certainly they miss the old players but um you know I think it gives us more to talk about yeah. boy perfect all right well uh Max thank you very much and you guys can follow Max our big overlord editor in chief uh, uh we we'll always do twitter shout outs so at max reaper r i e p e r uh Max thank you very much thank you Sean thanks for doing this all the time appreciate yes. it and then uh, you've got myself uh Sean Newkirk you can find me at Sean Core s h a u n c o r e on twitter and uh yeah that's all we've got so stay tuned till next time we'll have tons of more royals content as always uh, RoyalsReview.com, the place to get everything you can know about the Royals, the minor leagues, the trade, dead, trade deadline trades, the front office, you name it. Um, random uh, random film stuff whenever Josh Dugan does the Daily Post, random video game stuff whenever Sterling does the post, so you'll find anything. 500 page discussion, 500 comment discussions on politics in, in the mornings. I mean, how could you top that, right? Well, we try to stay away from that, but yeah. <laughs> know, it's so, up. anyways, uh, thank you guys very much. Uh, thanks for listening, and have many, many uh, good days. Most of the time, we talk about tech in terms of a handful of gigantic companies, like Google, Meta, and Apple. 
But some of the most interesting stuff we find online is the product of a single person. When you're working on your own, I think there's this beauty of being able to come up with an idea and then implement it then in that moment. You don't have to have permission from someone else. There's no red tape. In the Vergecast series, Solo Acts, we'll get to know these people, the tech they use to get stuff done and the obstacles they face trying to compete with the giants. Some people that I talk to and my friends are like, you know, your competitors are Zuckerberg and Musk. Like, aren't you kind of like afraid of that? Every Monday, our friend Ashley Escada will be curating and hosting these interviews and sharing with us what she's learned. I can't believe the McRib locator was originally a tornado locator. Right. <laughs> Pretty wild. Listen to our Solo Acts miniseries now in the Vergecast feed, anywhere you find podcasts.